Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Parakeeto podcast. That's what I'm going to call it for now because it doesn't have an official name yet. But uh, I'm just glad that you're here tuning in and listening. And uh, today we've got a special guest on the show. This is a guy that I met in Utah for the first time. And I've never seen somebody turn a sunburn into a suntan faster (laughs) than this man. We had a two hour conversation in the hot sun at altitude. I was burnt because I'm Canadian for probably two weeks afterwards. And he was just tanned and looking amazing by the next day. It's the amazing, the genius Jody Grundon. Jody, how are you doing today, man? Oh, doing well. Thanks. It's great to have you on the show. You're wearing uh, your classic Hawaiian shirt, and uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you about why you wear Hawaiian shirts all the time here in a bit, but will you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Yeah, we, um, well, of course, my name is Jody Grundon. We started a CPA firm, a traditional CPA firm back in 2002, and uh, since then have um, kind of revolutionized the way that uh, CPA firms do business. We started out uh, with a flat fee type of business. And then we went to a focus um, of basically virtual CFO services in about 2004-ish, 2005-ish, somewhere in that ballpark, uh, to where we actually meet with clients on a regular weekly basis and don't talk about historical stuff a ton. We're always talking about futures. So forecasting goals, KPIs, metrics, all that kind of good stuff. And really teaching companies how to uh, be profitable, you know, how to be successful, how to build cash, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, it's been a really nice uh, transition from uh, the old way of doing things that accountants did way back when, some still do now, uh, to something more proactive and strategic uh, alongside, of an account, you know, alongside of an accounting firm. And since then, we've you know, grown dramatically and um, we've got a little over 40 people spread throughout the United States right now. So a ton of, a ton of people working full time. And uh, we're looking to branch out into Canada and other places soon. So that's kind of where we're, uh, we're at right now. So that kind of gives you a, a little bit about us. Awesome, Matt. Well, you're welcome to come to Canada anytime. We, we welcome you and your team. <laughs> and uh, so the thing that I love about you, Jody, is that I've met a lot of accountants in my life. And uh, I haven't partied with many of them, but I have partied with you and you were a fun guy. You were not a typical accountant. I mean, you wear flip flops to work and you wear Hawaiian shirts all the time. Uh, Like, tell us a little bit more about that. Like, why did you decide to do things so differently? Why are you so different uh, than all the other CPAs that I've spoken to in my life? Why I'm so different, I don't know, but uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I get that with my wife even tells me that. But anyways... The, um, the account that the Hawaiian shirts, a kind of a funny story. Uh, if you have a second, I can tell you a little bit about it. Love to hear it. Let's go. Yeah. We, um, I, I used to wear polos. I used to wear dockers, you know, the traditional accounting, you know, accounting, you know, outfit, right. Accounting one-on-one outfit. 
And, um, you know, we wanted to do differently a long time ago when it used to be suits and ties back in like 2002. So that's with like polos and dockers, something a little different. And, you know, a lot of people frowned even upon that at that time. So it was one of those things that they just kind of frowned on. And then as we went through the time and became distributed, we kind of relaxed that a little bit, sometimes shorts, you know, and who cares? You're working from home, not a big deal. Um, but we, um, but I was invited to a seminar, a distributed company seminar in San Diego. And, uh, never met, never met any of these people at all. And I, I showed up and I had my dockers and my you know, stuff on and, and, uh, the normal accounting thing. And a gentleman, uh, by the name of Carl Smith, uh, caught me <laughs> off guard there and said, Hey, you know, Hey, we love, we love you. You're, you're pretty cool. Would you be interested in talking for some d- digital marketing companies and, and, and really showing them how to be profitable and how, you know, what they should expect and that sort of thing. I'm like, sure, that sounds great. I appreciate that. And, and he's like, well, when, when is it now? Keep in mind that I, I was just in San Diego, I live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I had to talk to my wife that, Hey, I'm going to San Diego without you, honey. Um, I'll be back a little <laughs> bit. And, and, and Carl's like, you know, Hey, this, this uh, seminar is in two weeks in New Orleans. I'm like, uh, well, first thing I think is what's my wife going to say? You know, I, New Orleans. Great. And so I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. No, no problem. And, um, it, and so, so basically I had two weeks to prepare for the seminar. I said, hey, we don't want a PowerPoint. We just want you to get up and talk and you know, be yourself, that sort of thing. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I'm trying to think of what to talk about. I, I really don't have a really good idea. And in the meantime, I pulled my a muscle in my neck. And so my neck is like on fire. I can hardly even move. I'm thinking this is going to be great. I can hardly even move around. I got to go talk in front of, you know, 30 owners of digital companies. And um, I, I did it. Plane ride. Uh, plane ride was pretty uh, horrible from Indiana to New Orleans. But uh, two hours in the plane, I was struggling there. I got there and, and guess what didn't show up? Uh, my luggage. Uh, <laughs> I, had no, I had no luggage. So here I am in a t-shirt. I have got, you know, you know, basically gym shorts, gym shoes. And I'm thinking, great. I got to talk in front of a bunch of people. I've got no luggage. And so I thought, well, uh, it might keep my, my neck's hurting really, really bad. So I went to, which just happened to be, there was a fashion mall right across the hotel. Uh, it's where the cruise ships came in. I thought, oh, cool. So I, I walked over there, complete pain. Uh, the first thing I did is I bought some Aleve had my neck was killing me uh, and, and a bottle of water took that real quick. And then I had to go get something from, I had to go get a charger for my phone. So I went and bought a charger for my phone because I got no luggage and I didn't have a carry on, which was pretty silly. I have a carry on now. Um, and, uh, then I thought, you know, my, what, what am I going to do? And so right across the hall or right across from that place was a Tommy Bahamas. And I thought, you know what, I've never been in there before, but I don't want to go anywhere else went across there and I looked at some of the shirts and it was all Hawaiian shirts. I think I had one Hawaiian shirt at the time and I was like, and I wore that on special occasion type of things and, uh, you know, Halloween, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, with that, um, I looked at the price. It was like $150. I was like, Oh my gosh, I've never spent like maybe $40 on a shirt, let alone 150. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what's my wife going to say now? You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's the first thing I looked at, dude. And so I thought, oh my gosh, so I got I got to buy not just one shirt, I got to buy two shirts because I have no idea when my luggage is going to get there. So I buy two shirts, I buy the pants, pants are like 75 bucks. I, I come out spending like $400 on, uh, you know, two pairs of, you know, two shirts, two pants. And so I, I go and I use my credit card and my card gets denied. <laughs> I forgot, I forgot to let them know my travel, you know, traveling, you know, the travel fraud thing. And yeah. so I was like, great. So I pull my other credit card out, pay it, no problem. And so then I go to the store next door, uh, cause I've got to have shoes now. So I, I get shoes and, um, picked out some loafers. It was really, really cool. I had this guy help me actually. He helped me, you know, dress myself kind of. And, and uh, with that, it was kind of cool. And then, 
um, I went to pay for it and my second card got denied. So now I, I'm two over oh two and I've got my last card. So I pull my last card out. I've got no other cards and, uh, it, it works. So I'm like, perfect. And so I go back to the room, you know, I, I put change into my first set of, you know, Hawaiian shirt clothes. I'm thinking this is kind of cool, what I, but I'm still feeling really uncomfortable because I'm not sure what anybody else is going to wear. And so I, I, I go to this dinner, which is like a a meet and greet type dinner and I show up with my Hawaiian stuff. Everyone else is dressed pretty casual. I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. I, I think I'm fitting right in. They weren't dressed in Hawaiian, but they weren't dressed in suit and tie and they weren't, they didn't have dockers and stuff like that on. And it felt really comfortable around them you know, talking to everybody. And so I'm like, you know, I, I'm going to pick up the appetizer, you know, being the finance guy, new to this, you know, new to the speaking type thing. And, and, um, so I pick up the appetizer and, I buy my food, right, and then I go to pay for it, and my third card gets denied. So I have no money, no card. So I, I turn to the guy next to me, who I've never met, and ask him if he could pick up my meal and the appetizer. Oh, by the way, I'm doing a finance talk in the morning. So <laughs> he did it like, I'll get your money right away. So I went to the ATM, called all the cards, got them all released that night. I went to the ATM, brought him cash in, so embarrassed. And when I started the, when I started the talk, that was the very first talk in the very first morning. Never met, never met any of these, any of these people and really didn't know Carl only one time. And, um, he's like, uh, and I, and I basically told the story, you know, what happened? You know, Hey, apologize. You know, I went through, went through the whole thing and, and, and then I just started talking about profitability, how, how to be profitable, what a note, what a company should, what, what an individual should make for a company, what a company should make overall. And, they loved it and they loved it so much. Carl's like, you know, Hey dude, you hit it out of the park. Would you be interested in talking again? And I'm like, sure. I go, when? He goes, two weeks in, in, in Chicago. I'm like, okay, now Chicago, I can work that because I can drive to Chicago. My wife's not going to kill me <laughs> for that one. So what happens is I drive to Chicago. You know, I'm, I'm ready for this talk. I'm going to do it again. Pretty excited about it. I show up in my Dockers. I show up in my Polo. I've got everything now. I had it in my, my thing. No Hawaiian shirt. And um, I meet Carl and he's like, he's like, dude, what, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean what am I doing? And he goes, where's your Hawaiian shirt? <laughs> And it's like, he goes, that's what set you apart from everyone. And I'm like, oh, it just kind of dawned on me. It's like, yeah, that that brought me down to the same level that everyone else is at. Because a lot of times professional speakers, they speak above people and and don't don't even realize it a lot of times. And so, and a lot of accountants do that. A lot of professionals, lawyers, you name it, they, they often speak above. And, and by, by, by dressing in the same manner, by acting in the same manner, uh, as the people that we work with, um, I, I feel I can relate a ton better and they can relate a ton better to me. So kind of a short story. That's, that's why <laughs> I've got a Hawaiian shirt on and I've done it ever since. And, and that was, I guess, your introduction to working with digital agencies. Cause like prior to that, did you, I mean, I'm sure you had some clients, but uh, you didn't know that that's kind of who you wanted to work with exclusively before that, right? Yeah, our, our first digital agency came in 2011, a company called Lullabot. Uh, they're off the East Coast. They're fairly large. And they, they called us, and it was actually our first truly virtual um, CFO client because before, the, you know, a lot of people throw the term virtual CFO around, and, and it, it means many different things. But how it meant to us back in 2004 when we actually, you know, coined our service that, um, was that, you know, we wanted to actually do it without being in front of the person, right? In front of the company. We want, we didn't want to meet them face to face. We didn't want to have to be able to drive them or them come to our place, you know, that type of thing. Cause you can't, you can't scale a business like that very well. And so we wanted to be able to do it afar. It took us a while. And in 2011, when we actually truly 
got that first opportunity to work for a company that was outside of the space. And that was, that was, again, that was Lullabot. And so it was kind of nice. They we responded to an ad and it was, was kind of neat how it worked. We were really huge in SEO. So you type in summitcpa.net and, and our, our virtual CFO, we pop up like number one, two on the front page anywhere in the United States. And so that, that's what happened because nobody was searching for it mm-hmm. back then because it really wasn't a term. And uh, with that, Lullabot just happened to search for, for it. And I got this email. I went to my junk mail, uh, which was kind of funny because I never look at my junk mail. I do now. Uh, but I read it and I was like, are these guys trying to sell me on a website? I'm thinking, you know, I think that's why I brought my partner in. And it's like, hey, Adam, are they trying to sell us on a website? And he's like, I don't think so. And I go, I can't tell either because it was a really hot, long letter. And I thought, well, I'm going to call them anyways. And so I called them up and they're like, hey, we look at your website. We love it. You look so much different than everyone else that we've looked at. Would you be interested in being our CFO? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, absolutely we would. And I'm like, and then the other owner gets on and says, well, I got one question for you. Would you actually have to come out here? And my question was, well, do you want me to come out here? <laughs> and uh, he's like, not really. I go, well, then no, we don't have to come out here. And so from there on, it's like we, we had, we, it forced us to figure out how to work virtually over a long period of time with clients, you know, at, in a virtual CFO setting. And so with that, we hit it off so well with, with, with that firm. Um, I, I, you know, just love to work personalities mesh. They started referring clients to us where we picked up, you know, clients that they were actually competitors with and they were just as cool. And it was like, this is a really cool industry. You know, used to different industries that aren't so cool. And this one just happened to be the industry that I felt I had, you know, I had a good fit with. Mm. And from then on, we started really focusing it. And then once, once we did the presentation at the bureau and really became that thought leader, um, to where now we do, gosh, over 75 plus, you know, um, digital marketing, creative agencies, uh, you know, their, their financials and their financials, KPIs and that sort of thing. It, it really, it really made us, you know, really, really, it basically it, it just did everything for our company. Our company boomed up, you know, the clients love working for them. They understand the metrics, they understand from one to the other. And it really, uh, it really, really helped things out. So kind of a short story there, but you know, with that, you know, uh, you know, definitely, uh, focusing on, it came from 2011 and then just blew up once we, uh, became that thought leader in the industry. That's awesome, man. And it's just funny to me that we met actually at a Bureau of Digital event and Carl, you know, basically introduced us by putting on the event. Um, and that's how you kind of got introduced to that community. And I'm not surprised that you fell in love with it because I mean, if anybody hasn't been to a Bureau event, it is just such a cool vibe and everyone is so laid back. And, uh, and really what I love about you, Jody, and I remember when we had our session at the Bureau of Digital event that I was at, which was operations camp. Um, when we sat outside and you just kind of went through the, you know, the KPIs and the fundamentals, and you take something that is traditionally very complex and hard to figure out, which is how do you manage and forecast finances for a service business? Because service businesses by nature can be very hard to kind of wrangle in because there's so many things changing all the time. People's time and the expenses are variable and clients are different and projects are different, but you have this way of making it so simple and painting out a system that almost anyone can follow. Um, so I would love if you could kind of speak to that. I know you've worked with, I mean, you just mentioned 75 plus agencies. What are some of the things that you see them really dropping the ball on? And what are some of those fundamentals that uh, they can follow to make sure that they're not missing out on big opportunities to grow their business? 
Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that most agencies that, that actually come to us that where they drop the ball initially is they do not keep enough cash in the bank. And, and cash is a, a huge, huge pillar for success for any company. You've got to have cash. It's easy to run out of cash no matter how profitable you are. If you run out of cash, you're going out of business. And so uh, what happens is they run out of cash or they pay, they, they forget to hold money back. And, and then they got this huge tax bill, you know, if they're in the United States in April there, and it's like, well, how do I pay for it? I don't have the cash to pay for it again, because they didn't, they didn't actually plan. They didn't forecast. And, and so when we uh, look at agencies, we, we, we look at, uh, you know, four different things that we focus on. And I actually wrote a book about this called digital dollars and cents. And it breaks it down in details. So if you have, if you want to go through it, feel free to go through it there. But with that, the, the book really, the, the number one thing is building cash to a 10% annualized revenue number. So like meaning if you're a $3 million agency, you should have $3 million or $300,000 in the bank at all times. Now, does that mean $300,000 and that's going to cover my taxes and everything? No, you need another account uh, for your taxes because that, that money is really not yours. It's, it's money that you need to set aside you know, for the, you know, for the tax, tax agencies to have, you know, to pay either quarterly, if you're paying quarterly, and then at the end of the year, if you have it. So you need at least that 10% plus 40% of your net income in the bank. So when we talk to agencies, when we look at them, most of the time when they come on, they do not have that. You know, a lot of times it's like, you know, I just need to pull the money out. They use it kind of as their own personal checkbook. Something happens, I got school, I pull money out, pay for school for the kids, you know, whatever that might be. And we really teach the, the business owner, you know, hey, you got to treat this truly as a business. And the reason being is because when you look across the room, especially if you're brick and mortar, you've got like 30 people in this room here. Well, you know what? You got more than 30 people in that room because they each have maybe one or two kids, let's say. And so you probably have a close to 100 people that you are responsible for. And if you're using the checkbook that is basically determines the, you know, the path of all you know, 100 people, you know, you really need to do it responsibly. And so we teach that, that concept that, hey, we need to build that cash. We need to build the cash for opportunities. We need to build the cash for security. You know, if, you know, it basically makes all of the really small issues big. If you don't have cash, all the big issues small, if you do have cash, you know, if, if you've got an AR for, you know, let's say a hundred grand sitting out there and you have payroll coming up in two weeks and you know, you're like, are they going to come? Am I going to get that money? Am I going to get that money? And finally you don't get the money. It's like, Oh no. Or you do get the money last second. You're like, whoo. You know, thank God. Well, if you had that cash in the bank, you know what? You wouldn't even thought of it. That wouldn't even have been even in your radar. It would have been, like, hey, you know, Bob, go ahead and can you collect that AR. They're, they're behind. You know, not a big deal. And so cash is a huge thing. So we focus really on the cash side of it. Uh, but once we know, and the way that we actually focus on cash and build cash, because cash just doesn't automatically appear. It's not like, you know, hey, you come in, you have, you know. <laughs> No money in the bank, you hire us, now you got money in the bank. You know, that's not how that works. <laughs> so, so, you know, with that, you know, we, we really we focus on forecasting and, you know, really setting long-term goals. And I say long-term goals, you know, year, two years, three years, short-term goals, you know, what's going over the next 12 months, you know, that or 12 weeks. And we really focus on what drives revenue in that company. And for most service-based industries, you know, what drives revenue are the full-time equivalents, right? Full-time employees, your employee drives revenue. The hours those employees are working is going to, what is it going to determine how, you know, what, what type of revenue that they ultimately can do, whether you're billing hourly, flat fee, value-based, it makes no difference. Uh, you need to know what that person, individual's capacity is and what they can truly handle uh, as a person when it comes to your pricing model. And we look for the non-financials that you as the owner can control, right? Because 
I can say, Hey, you know, I, I need you to do this, this, and this, but if you don't have any idea how you can control that, it's not going to help. So we try to try to break it down to that basic fundamental, you know, Hey, you have to have so many, you know, hours and the, you know, these, these people have to be you know working this many billable hours. This, you know, you can have this average bill rate of this, your effective rate needs to be, you know, this, and we kind of break it out and model what their revenue should be. We then, you know, look at their expenses and we show them, Hey, based on, if you hit this model, if you can hit it, you know, here's what you're going to have in cash, you know, every single month. So we flip it over on the balance sheet and show, hey, here's what November is going to look like cash, December, no line of credit, you know, all, all the different months. Are we happy with this? And then they say, yeah, we're happy with it. Cool. And then we look at the pipeline because that's another key thing. Do we have the pipeline to be able to support that? Because uh, if we don't, then, you know, creating a, you know, model based on, you know, efficiency, model based on what they, what the, what the, what the uh, company can do isn't going to help anything if we can't support it with our pipeline. So that's kind of where we work, work through work, work at all. And then we also let them know that, Hey, we want every agency to have 15% net income bottom line, no matter what. And that's, you know, that's including, you know, 10% more than likely 10% based on how big they are, you know, for the owner's salaries with the owner to make at least 150 grand minimum. And it should, it should scale up based on, you know, how big the agency is. So we, we build all that in there and we want to make sure that, Hey, if we've got this whole plan put in place, then we can build cash, you know, and, and if things don't go right, then we can kind of back into it and figure out why, you know, and, and that's the, uh, the key there. So we need to be able to, to build a forecast form so that they can then ultimately build cash because cash again is probably the biggest thing or one of the biggest reasons that, you know, companies actually, you know, fall apart or, or go out of business. And, 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 and it's a simple, it's a simple solution, but it's again, something that, that owners have to really pay a lot of attention to and really focus themselves and have that, you know, reserve not to pull the money out of the company. Uh, it makes complete sense. I mean, I know I, when I read your book, uh, that was one of my favorite analogies that you had drawn out in there, which was about, uh, it was like driving down the road that had a lot of rocks on it in a monster truck versus a scooter, right? And not having the cash was like driving a scooter. A small rock was going to be very disruptive. And if you have a lot of cash, it's like being a monster truck and those big rocks are not so disruptive. Um, and it makes complete sense because like you said, things that you would typically not have to worry about when you have cash all of a sudden can be a really big deal. So um, that's awesome. Now, a question for you. When does this really start to be... Because I know there's a lot of probably agency owners that are going to be listening to this. I hope there's a whole ton of them that are listening to this right now. Um, <laughs> those that are listening, that maybe some of them, their ears are starting to gloss over. Or if they're watching the video replay, their eyes are starting to gloss over when we talk about all these financials. I know myself as a CEO, sometimes when we start talking about financials, I can just get a little overwhelmed. So if you had to break it down to just a handful of metrics that they should be tracking and what those should look like in their business, what would that be? Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. 
Yeah, the first one is that 10% annualized revenue. So you, you want to, again, take the $3 million of that your annualized revenue times by 10%, and that's the minimum you want. Based, it, could be, it could be a lot greater if your company, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. You know, as much as 30% is what you really need if you have, like, one client, if they have a main concentration of small clients. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors, but, but cash in the bank is the number one. You know, the, the, the net income is number two, so you need to know that, hey, you need to have at least a 15% bottom line. And uh, there's ways to structure your financial statements, but you need to structure them in a way that's consistent with industry standards. And, and with that, uh, 15% bottom line. So you're, you're really focusing on that gross profit, which is at the top. Um, and that's basically revenue minus the cost of sales, which is your production people, right? That's your all your producers, you know, all the expenses related to, um, you know, delivering your products at the top. That's roughly about 50%. And if you can get that about 50%, then you can generally get to that 15% net income at the bottom. So those are the two. Those are two big things. And then the uh, pipeline is going to be the big thing. It's going to be, hey, how much do you have in your pipeline? And then we call that contract capacity. So once you know what your capacity is, what your, what your team's capacity is, and there's formulas to actually determine that. But you determine capacity, then you look and see what you've got in contract. You see, you know, hey, how does that how does that compare to capacity? Do I have enough in there to cover the next three months, six months? Do I have to make adjustments there? Because you could be doing really, really well today, but not have anything going on tomorrow. You know, and, and so that's that's a company that on paper today is going to look wonderful. Tomorrow it's going to look really bad. And so with that, you have to look at that. And so to back into all that, you have to look at the other key thing is looking how your production is actually developed. And so uh, production is based on, again, full-time equivalents. You need to know how many full-time equivalents you have. Everything should be based on a 40-hour work week. You need to forecast everything out. And so the, the, the key there is knowing what your utilization rate is. And your utilization rate isn't, you know, if, if it isn't just, it's not going to be the same every single month. It's not going to be the same for every person, but you need to break it out so that you can actually forecast it. And so utilization is just typically the, uh, you know, the, your billable hours divided into the you know, hours that you can work based on a 40 hour work week. And so if, if you're saying, you know, Hey, I'm going to work, you know, I'm gonna, my team's going to bill 32 hours, which we see is pretty average for, um, you know, folks in, in this industry there is that uh, 32 hours a week, you know, then, you know, that's going to be 32 divided by 40. And that's going to be your, what we call your weekly expectation. And that goes into your, that's part of your calculation for utilization. And then with the overall utilization, then we have to look and see, well, we know that they're not going to actually bill that every single month, right? Because they, you got PTO, you've got time that you're at events where you can't actually bill, you know, there's a lot of things. Things. There's time between projects that typically uh, you can't bill for. You're not going to go from one project to the next. Not every time. You know, there's travel time. All this kind of stuff's built into it. Uh, so you have to actually pull out all the weekly expectations or your, what your company culture is. Pull that out of that number two. And uh, with that, the overall is what you're dividing. And we find that when companies actually do that and really look at their, their bottom line, their utilization Overall utilization is roughly about 60 to 65%, somewhere in that ballpark. And so when we when we look at that, so we're looking at the utilization part of our production expense. Then the other key to that production ex- production metric is the uh, average bill rate. Mm-hmm. And the average bill rate is not what you charge clients. So an average bill rate, uh, the standard bill rate is what you charge clients. So if you're estimating everything, whether it's a flat fee, you, you're going to calculate that somehow, right? You're going to calculate what you want to make per hour, you know, for that, for that, for that job based on the people that are working on it, that's your standard bill rate. And so then you look and say, what do we actually, what actually happened on that job? Did we go over? Did we go under? Were we able to bill everything that we worked for? And most of the time we see that, 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 um, that that's where a lot of agencies really fall apart because what they'll do is they'll have that standard bill rate at 175 
And then when they do the calculation and figure out what they actually made, it was like 125. And so they're like 50, you know, $50 difference. And anytime that we see there's a 10% gap in there, that's a major issue. That's, a, that's big red flags. And so uh, with that, you know, that could be a production issue. It could be like, Hey, the team, you know, the production is just not working. Either the production managers aren't, aren't, you know, aren't working. The people aren't working. You know, there's, there's an issue there that's causing that, you know, that, that difference there, or it could just simply be the estimating is wrong. So maybe we're bringing all these jobs in and, and they're just bringing them way too low, you know, over, over anticipating, or it could be a combination of both of them. Right. And so that's the, the big thing. Now, if you take that average bill rate, you know, whenever they calculate that up and you, and you multiply it by the, the utilization rate, that comes up to what you call your effective rate and your effective rate is the all in, you know, it's the, it's the rate that you can, you can, you know, hang everything on. And so you want to look at that effective rate and see what that is. We see agencies vary dramatically based on how much they bill as well as, you know, basically, you know, what their billable hours are, you know, that type of thing. So um, we look at that, we'll say, Hey, an effective rate of a hundred dollars, you know, per hour, you know, might be the effective rate for agency. Well, is that good or bad? Well, it's only good or bad based upon what that effective cost is. And the effective cost is the all-in cost for an employee, right? So an employee has salary, burden, all that kind of stuff. And typically, you know, we'll see, you know, burden rates being about 1.25 is, is a pretty typical burden rate, which would be the 401k plan, the taxes, you know, everything involved with the, with the employee. So you take their salary times the 1.25, you back into the hours they work, and that comes up with that effective cost. And you want to make sure that effective rate and effective cost have a high enough gap in there uh, to get the gross profit that you need at 50%. And so that's the, that's the, uh, the typical, you know, ways we look at it. So we look at one cash, cash in the bank, we look at two net income. Where's their net income at? Is it is it at least 15%? And then also the owner is being compensated fairly as well. So owner compensation has got to be fair there too. Otherwise, you can really distort that 15% mark. Um, with that, we also want to make sure that our pipeline can substantiate um, the forecast that we're putting together. And then the key metrics in the production side are the average bill rate and the utilization rate. Awesome, man. See, as everyone that's listening at home can hear, Jody is like the oracle when it comes to this kind of information. He could talk for hours about it and just like figure it out in an instant. Um, And if you guys are listening and you're still, you're like, I want to see those uh, benchmarks. I want to see those calculations. All of that is in the book, Digital Dollars and Cents, which I have read. It is a phenomenal book. Um, I know there's some resources on your blog as well, Jody, uh, some of his website. And um, I actually basically... Uh, just like took everything that I read in the book and wrote a blog post on our website too, parakeeta.com. So shout out to Jody for inspiring that. Um, so if you're looking for some more information, that's where you can go and find it. Um, so one of the things that you were talking about a lot in there, and I know you talked about it a little bit, but I want to address it head on. One of the things that I get pushed back a lot on, um, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, is there's a lot of agencies out there that are not tracking time for various reasons. Maybe it's because it's a pain in the butt. Maybe it's because they haven't found a way to motivate their employees to do it. Maybe it's because they just don't think it's necessary. Um, Can you build a financial model that is sustainable and accurate without tracking time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question because because when we actually bill, we don't bill hourly at all. We we bill a, a based on a value based flat fee value based type system, and so with that time really isn't seen on the customer side. You know, where a lot of agencies we see do build time, they build sprints, they build all you know all, many different ways of billing. Uh, the question is is that hey, 
how can I forecast effectively? And the way I can forecast effectively is based on time. So you can do it without, you can forecast effectively without having time in there because you have a, a good idea. You know, hey, you, you expect, you know, the people are going to work 40 hours a week, you know, and, and you, know, you, can, you, can, you can do it. So you can forecast effectively there. The problem is when things go bad, you have no idea if you're not tracking time where, where things are falling apart. Are they falling apart at the type of job you're working on? You know, are all the, is it the department, you know, is, is development just kicking and designs really, really not doing well, but you think they're both working, you know, is it a person in there that really needs that training? You know, maybe that you, you thought everybody was equal, equal building. You find out this person needs a little bit more training because it takes them twice as long to do a job that somebody else is doing it, you know, 15 minutes, you know, that those are the different factors that you can't determine if you don't tell time. So if, if things are going really well and you're not tracking time and they continue to go real well forever, not an issue there. But when things start falling apart, that's when time is so crucial. And that's why we track time. You know, that's the only reason we track time. We don't bill clients. We don't gauge our employees on that. We don't, you know, slap them on the hand if they, if they do things. You know, we're not big brother type of thing with the time. We just want to find out when things fall apart, you know, where, where they're at. And, and I'll be brutally honest with you. When we started billing flat feedback in geez, 2002, 2003, it was a struggle because we could not figure out why we were not profitable. You know, it was like, this is just, it, you know, it just wasn't working out. And then when we really started focusing on time, because we started tracking time again, uh, we realized, oh, because every time we, we, we quote this service, we're always underestimating by 20%. So guess what? The next time I quote that service, boom, it's 20% higher next time. So I fall within that thing. And, and, and then the clients had no problem buying it, you know, because, you know, we're getting, we're afraid of pricing and stuff. So again, the, the, the issue is you have to be able to know where you're falling short and that's what time comes in. So time, time I think is completely essential. I know not everybody loves to do it, but you have to do it. Uh, that's just part of being a responsible owner is to making sure that your team is there because again, everything's great. You know, not tracking time, everything's going great, great. But when things don't go by, then again, you got those hundred people you got to think about uh, and, and really use empathy and sort of sympathy when it comes to that time tracking and making sure they get everything you know dialed in the way it, the way it does. It doesn't have to be perfect because time's never going to be perfect, but it has to be somewhere where you can actually use it to analyze it when things go bad and things go south. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And I'm sure like, you and I have had conversations at nauseum about this. Um, it really doesn't matter, like you said, how you bill, it doesn't matter what your cost or what your, you know, pricing looks like at the end of the day, it's a fundamental metric in a service business, because it's your limiting, that's what determines how much money you can make in a year, it determines how much work you can do, and determines the profitability of work at the end of the day. So great answer. I'm sure there's a lot of people at home that are shaking their fists being like, no, I still don't want to do it. Uh, but it can be a life-changing thing for an agency. I know every time I do an exercise uh, with one of our clients and I show them like, hey, this is how much you actually make on that service that you think you're making $200 an hour on. They're like, whoa, it's, uh, it's a pretty big aha moment mm-hmm. for a lot of people. So we've talked a lot about um, metrics and we've talked a lot about, you know, all of this stuff that you are very, very good at on the financial side. But one thing that you are also good at that I think is compelling, especially for digital agencies, is uh, you run a fully distributed company now. Um, And I think that's pretty neat. And it's something that is very challenging. We also are mostly distributed as a team. And I know that there's a lot of challenges that come with that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of digital agencies that have aspirations of perhaps getting rid of their office. 
And I also heard that uh, in your office, because you still have an office, right? Yeah. You have a $100,000 fish tank in that office. So <laughs> I, mean, I just want to dig into this because I think there's a lot of things here uh, that are compelling. How did you decide to turn your company into a distributed team and what's that journey been like so far? Yeah, so so kind of answering a couple questions there. I'll tell you about the fish tank here in a second. But with our first first virtual client, which was a little about they were distributed. So the, the, the nice thing about that was is that we were able to learn from their mistakes, learn from their successes. And that really helped us really build that framework of, hey, this is what works, this is what doesn't work. And, and oh, by the way, it can be done, you know, that type of thing. Because a lot of people think, oh, there's no way it can be done. Company culture will go out the door. You know, that's, that's all BS. Company culture is, if not better than we would ever have in our company than it was prior to that. So, I mean, it, it, it can definitely be done and definitely be handled if you want to do it. The uh, key is you have to do it, right? And you have to just jump right in. And that's kind of where the fish tank uh, thing comes into play. Because when, when we, um, when we, when I came back, it was probably 2013 ish right then there, I, I had a decision to make because we were at about 18 employees and the building as an accountant, I always recommend, Hey, buy your own building. You know, this is a great investment. And what happened was the building started making decisions for us. And you think, well, what do you mean by that? It's like, well, yeah, because we couldn't expand because we had no place to put anybody. And do, did I want to actually go and buy another building and spend a ton of more money just for one or two people, you know, additional? It didn't make sense, right? And so it was like I was being capped. I was being held hostage by my own building. And so I thought, you know what? I've got to do one thing. I've either got to go distributed or I've got to expand this building. And so I went back to the team and I had, I had I remember the I remember the meeting exactly. Had everybody in the conference room say, "Hey, guys, we're going to go distribute." I was so excited about it. I thought for sure everybody would say, "That's a great idea. You can work from home." And everybody looked at me like I was on crack. You know, I was like, <laughs> "You are. There is no way we can go distribute. We're accountants. We can't do that." You know, accountants don't like change. Obviously, it was pretty obvious. My business partner was the same way. He's like, "I got four kids at home. I, there's no way I can work from home. That, that there's." That can't work. Jody, you're going to lose the entire team if you go distributed. I'm like, wow, I can't lose the entire team. You know, that, that's, that's not going to be good. So I thought, okay, fine. So then I thought, well, I guess I've got to do an expansion project. So I did. I kicked everybody out of the office for six weeks. Actually, it was supposed to originally for four weeks. The construction company took a lot longer. And we gutted the entire office, took all the walls out. It looked like a complete hole of an office. And we built some really cool offices. All the offices had had TVs in it. Um, we had a nice conference room. We had this really cool fish tank at the very front of the office, 250 gallons. It was it was an awesome fish tank and it was saltwater fish. I thought this is really cool. I, 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 the cubes, we had small cubes originally. I made brought in cubes like twice the size and we could hold up to 30 people. And I thought this is great. 18 people. I'm going to have this for 10 more years and I will not need to hire, hire another, I can hire up to another 12 people and I could still not, not an issue at all. And so six weeks, you know, four weeks came by, it delayed, 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 six weeks came by. I'm like, we're finally in and I'm like, I'm excited about it. And I'm starting to invite people back into the office and they didn't want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> they got a taste of it and they loved it. Oh, they loved it. It's like they, they all figured out all the issues that they would have that they thought they were going to have working from home. You know, their issues they created in their own head. You know, hey, I can't, you know, I, I'm not going to get things done. I'm not going to, you know, all the different things, all the issues you, you, you could think of they came up with, they figured out that's just not true. They had no commute. It was nice. The commute was from the bedroom 
the shower, to the den, you know, working. Uh, it, 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 they could, they could take breaks when they needed to. If they had to run, you know, if they had to run to the kids PTO thing or, you know, or whatever their kids' events were, they could do that and pop back in as long as they had good communication there. And it really was a, a pretty solid thing that they figured out. My business partner's like, yeah, I just had an office, closed the door. When the door's closed, I'm at work. When it's open, the kids can hop in and talk to me anytime they want, you know, that type of thing. And so they all figured out their issues and they loved it. And, and with that, you know, I spent like a hundred grand on this office rebuild. <laughs> that really only truly four people actually came back to the office. You know, two came back because they had bad internet connection. You can't work obviously distributed if you have a, don't have, if you have crappy internet. So that was, that was one thing. And then a couple said, you know, I just want to, I just don't want to do it. You know, like that's cool. Not a problem. Now we're down to three people in the office, including myself. I've got to feed my fish. <laughs> so I'm here, <laughs> but it's really not truly enough. Cause I don't see the other people at all. It's, huge office space they're way back in some corner back there um but the uh the funny, the funny thing is is that from there on out we're like you know what we're never going to hire another person in indiana for in indiana ever again and uh, from that we just started hiring people outside you know of, of the office you know so that's why we're spread throughout the entire united states now with over 40 people and it was kind of funny because i i thought 30 people in 10 years is where we're going to be it ended up being 40 people you know like three years later and so <laughs> i was like i would have had the, i'd had the same issue again and again held hostage by my my, my own building which uh, uh never again would i ever recommend that to uh to anybody else so i i think that's a, such a cool story and how um you know you, you people just went out they got used to it and then ran with it so but i'm sure that after that it wasn't all 100 percent smooth sailing if you could choose and I, I, we're kind of starting to run out of time so i want to try and keep this quick but i know there's a lot of agencies out there that might be in a situation where they're thinking about making a similar move what was the biggest challenge for you and to you the one thing that you have to get right if you're going to distribute it in order for it to be a success yeah, it's not easy. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You have to really work to make it make it work. And but when it does work, it works really, really well. I would never go back the other way. I mean, I'd close the company down before I'd go back and, and do brick and mortar again. Um, it, it just and, and, and everybody loves it. The, uh, the biggest thing is the communication. You have to be able to communicate and you have to over communicate. You have to over, over, over communicate. Yet communication is the biggest thing, because uh, if you start to feel like you're on an island out there, you're going to drift away and you're going to look for something different, you know, so that's the big thing. And so uh, communication through video conferencing, I think is imperative. You have to be able to look people in the eye, see out their facial expressions, see if they get it. You know, again, it gives them that feeling that they're, they're right next door to you where they're, where they're not, you know, just like you and I, you, you could be in anywhere. I could be in anywhere, but we're having this conversation. You're next door to me, in my opinion. And, and, and the same thing, but then also you have to have the written communication. So we use different tools like Sococo for the video, video conferencing, you know, the appearance of an office. We use tools like Slack, you know, for the, uh, you know, the, the communication in written form. Cause people, there's many different people, people react in different ways. Some people like the video communication, which everybody's got to be on. And then some people like the written communication also. So it's, it's, it's a combination too. So you've got to be able to provide both, but again, you gotta, you have to be able to over communicate. And so, and over, over, like I said, communicate over and over and over again, that's really, really huge. And so, you know, with our team, you know, they, they love it because, you know, with that, they can pop in, you know, chat like you're chatting now, uh, not a big deal. They can get their work done. It's not like they're getting off their desk or going in someone's office and being unproductive. I could do my work just as well with you being here talking to you than if you're not there, you know, that type of thing. And sometimes even better. And so it allows that, you know, communication. And with, we do a lot of different, um, 
uh, studies in, internally with our office. And, and it's kind of, kind of unique. It's kind of weird because you'd think that there'd be no way that, you know, our team would develop friendships within the company if they've never seen each other, you know, in person, how would that happen? And it's, and it's kind of funny out of the 40 people, I think we've got four people that said that their best friend is here at summit. Wow. And they've met them maybe once because they've driven out to, you know, to Denver and they live in Florida or whatever, um, by far. And so it's kind of a unique thing. It's like, wow. So you can have a, a strong culture if you, and this can work very well for you. If you really focus on the communication, you know, how, how are you going to communicate? Yeah, I, I can second that for sure. I know that that's been, you know, the area that I've had to grow a lot um, as a leader of a company that is distributed. And um, yeah, you can't just walk down the hall and clarify something that you didn't quite discussed properly on the last meeting. So communication definitely is is super key. And to your point, like, I know some of my best friends in the world are people that I've only hung out with a handful of times. And it's mm-hmm. more about, you know, those shared values, uh, you know, for the culture than it is necessarily about the volume of time that you spend physically connecting. Um, so awesome, awesome points to that. So Jody, the listeners have been tuned in, locked in for 45 minutes now. I think it's time to let them go. But before we do that, I'm sure many of them want to know how they can connect with you, find out more about you and uh, learn how they can potentially work with you as well. Which by the way, guys, if you're listening and you're struggling with any of this financial stuff, highly, highly, highly recommend Jody and the team. They've actually been helping advise us on how to build a product that is going to deliver you know, the right metrics, the right and use the right. So they've been super, super instrumental in our development process. And I can speak to their expertise. So with that, how can people get a hold of you, Jody, and learn more about you? Yeah, the first thing I do is I just visit our website, uh, summitcpa.net, S-U-M-M-I-T-C-P-A.net. And uh, with that, that'll give you a pretty good idea on a broad stroke of what we actually do, um, the diff- different service levels that we offer, how much it costs. We, we're very transparent with everything. Uh, just kind of take a look at it. If it's something that you're still continued interested, then just fill, just fill out one of the um, landing pages there, and, and I'll be more than happy to uh, hop on a call with you and, and help you out there. Um, my direct email is just Jody, J-O-D-Y, at summitcpa.net. Feel free to reach out to me that way as well. So, no, I definitely uh, exciting to, to have to be on here. This was great. Um, uh, I loved it. So, you know, appreciate it again for having me, uh, having you on today. Hey man, anytime I get to chat with you is a good time. And, uh, any excuse that I get to do it, I'm going to take you up on it. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.